And so what we're going to do on Thursday is we're going to focus in on what Jesus is doing in that meal. It's pretty remarkable that God had given the people of Israel this Passover meal to be practiced in perpetuity so that they would remember the Exodus. So if you remember when, when God initially commands this, it's on the eve of the Exodus. And so I want you to have unleavened bread ready because you need, you need to be ready to go. Um, and you need to eat this meal with your sandals on because it's, it's about to be go time. And God delivers them. And then he institutes this Passover meal as a remembrance meal. To say every year you need to come back to this and remember what I've done for you, how I delivered you. And Jesus, in that context, says, hey, I want to transform what you remember in this meal. I actually want to give you a new meal to practice. If he's not the son of God who's atoning for sin, this is audacious. You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. So we're two days into Holy Week. Um, We kicked it off with Palm Sunday. And even before that, you know, about a month ago, we kicked it off, kicked off Lent with Ash Wednesday. Um, Over the last few years, we've started incorporating more of these like traditional church calendar um, services. And so I figured today we could kind of just talk through a few of those, um, kind of explain maybe our thoughts behind incorporating those, um, kind of the meaning behind them, uh, what they teach us. Yep. Um, so maybe we could kick it off with, um, I know we already did it a while ago, um, and we kind of explained it on the evening with just a quick review of Ash Wednesday and what that was all about. Yeah, I know I know that one in particular has thrown some people for a loop. Some of our good Baptist friends, which <laughs> I'm I, a Baptist. but one of, one, I can't remember which. Uh, which one, one of our elders had a conversation with a, a family that had been visiting the church pretty regularly. They were interested in membership. And one of their questions was like, Hey man, what's the deal with, with this Ash Wednesday stuff? <laughs> like what's going on? Yeah. I certainly didn't grow up in a home that um, participated in Ash Wednesday. I don't even think I was exposed to it much as a kid. I, I think I remember, I have a memory of like seeing somebody with ash on their forehead and I was like, what in the world is that same i was i was probably 20 uh so in my early 20s somewhere and a friend of mine that i worked with came to work with ash on their forehead and i i had no idea what it was i was like oh you, you've got some <laughs> and i felt terrible they were like this is a, a thing that we yep. do and i just thought they had a smudge on their forehead <laughs> i didn't know what it was all about and i felt terrible but that was the first time i learned anything about it was already as an adult yeah, so um, so why would we live into to something like this when it's it hasn't been necessarily part of our our practice? I think um, Ash Wednesday in particular is kind of the gateway into the Lenten season, which again a lot of churches don't participate in. Mm-hmm. I know Charles Spurgeon kind of mocked it. Um, I'm a big Charles Spurgeon fan, uh, but here we are practicing it, and um, you know Ash Wednesday is this day where you just give particular attention to 
the the reality of your mortality that because of sin because we live in a corrupted world we're all going to die and i think that could become morbid and morose but it doesn't have to in fact the bible actually calls us to number our days and to to be mindful that life is a vapor mm-hmm. um and i think that helps kind of refocus your life uh to go man days are limited so don't waste them and live them to know god and live them to love others and live them for what matters um live them for worship and so that's what Ash Wednesday is. And so I, I think for me, you know, pastoring the church, it's like, man, I think this is a really healthy practice for us. We spend our, we spend most of our life trying to hide from death until we're forced to face it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either through the death of a loved one or, you know, I mean, recently, like there's another school shooting. There are these moments, these interruptions in life where it's like, we have to acknowledge um, the reality of it. Mm-hmm. But we spend most of our life trying to hide from it. I think Ash Wednesday is super helpful to, to go, man, no, you, you, you need to face this mm-hmm. so that you focus your life in a healthy direction. And so that's what Ash Wednesday is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of leads you into the Lenten season, which is a particular season of, of fasting in preparation for Easter. And so, you know, I think where you can go sideways is thinking that um, you're more spiritual or holy just by participating in these days or these seasons that's not true in an ex opera operato kind of a way just by doing the thing Mm -hmm. it counts no but the bible certainly teaches fasting right like that fasting is a good thing and that's not a big part of our tradition and so i think having times on the calendar where we intentionally fast and focus our attention on our need for jesus and Mm-hmm. Our need to say, man, I'm going to lay this down so that I depend on Jesus more. I think that's really healthy. Mm-hmm. So we're a free church, free church tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can glean from the best practices from many different, you know, streams of the Christian faith. And I think this is a, a healthy thing to glean from and to implement in the life of our church. And so that's why we do it. Yeah. And there. I think a helpful way for me for thinking about all these practices and, and things on the calendar is thinking of them as practices of spiritual formation. Like we're not racking up points. We're not, um, we're not achieving something by doing this aside from what it does to us. And so even just, you know, like starting with remembering our death, remembering the limitation on our life and then choosing an extended period of, of actually choosing lack, like choosing not, to indulge in something that that is a good thing that gives us life, but choosing um, to to you know voluntarily go into a period of lacking of saying I'm not going to take something that I want, and then um, that leads us into Palm Sunday, which we just celebrated this last Sunday. Um, what's Palm Sunday all about? Well, Brett, you preached on it. Why don't you speak on it? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the beginning of holy week right it's um it's the sunday before good friday and and easter sunday and it's the day we remember jesus's triumphal entry into jerusalem uh, most notably riding on a donkey and uh, being received by the crowds as messiah you know uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord hosanna hosanna in the highest right we've 
we've said these things since we were kids and maybe missed on the deep meaning there of what's being said as Jesus is welcomed. And, you know, this is significant because, you know, they're, they're heading into Passover week and uh, Sunday there would have been a lot of people streaming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover there. You know, some, some scholars think two to three million people, but most think it was more like 200 to 300,000 people. But you have these crowds entering the city and this backwoods, you know, kind of radical rabbi being welcomed along with his followers who have seen him do miraculous things Mm -hmm. and saying the Messiah is here. And the crowd picks up on this. This crowd of pilgrims picks up on this and and joins in. They've heard about this guy. And uh, everybody's really eager to see what happens next. What's he going to do? And what's... What's is this? Is this the time now when the when the kingdom will be restored, right? And uh, and and the yoke of Roman rule will be thrown off. And so, it's a really important moment to start the week, but also ironic because he's welcomed as a king, and then on Friday, he's going to die mm-hmm. and be crucified like a criminal. So, so yeah, the juxtaposition between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, you know, is stark. I have two questions for you. One, I was actually, I think I said this already once recently. I literally, in my just daily Bible reading, was in Luke 19 this morning, which we read on Sunday for your sermon. And one of the things that jumped out to me as I was reading it this morning was the language is so similar to the angelic announcement of Jesus yeah. at birth. Yeah. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Did you come across anything as you studied this text? Yeah. That Brought you know dealt with the similarities there. Yeah, the BD Andibuile picks up on that and and essentially talks about how wherever Jesus goes, there's peace. When he's born, he brings peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he comes into God's city, he rides on an animal of peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, he dies to bring peace. But yeah, so the peace in the highest heavens. Uh, where does it say? I'm, I'm reading it right now. Uh, verse thirty. Yeah, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. There's. So actually scholars are pretty confused by that because, you know, usually the language is peace on earth. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are confused by, by why heaven's mentioned here. Uh, but I, I, again, I think it's just this reality of this is, this is the bringer of peace, the Messiah. And you see the, the language picked up again in verse 42, when Jesus weeps over the city and said, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? Mm-hmm. But now, it is hidden from your eyes. Um, so I think this is the one who brings peace between God and man and between uh, us and, and, and each other. Right? So, so clearly this is messianic language, though. Like yeah. they're, they're picking up on messianic expectation. Mm-hmm. So when the angels announce Jesus' birth, they're going, this is the one yeah. who brings peace on earth. And the crowd's picking up on that same language and declaring that over Jesus. Just stood out to me. The other thing that I would just love to get your thoughts on maybe is, you know, I've heard it said a lot, you know, they cried Hosanna on Sunday and then they cried crucify on Friday. But more recently I came across some scholarship that was saying those crowds were probably different crowds. Yeah. Um, Now, there might have been some overlap. But any thoughts to that? Like, who is this crowd that's crying Hosanna? And then who is that crowd that's assembled at Jesus' trial, you know, that begins to cry out, crucify. Yeah, I mean, 
Luke specifically calls it a whole crowd of the disciples. So there's a large band that's been following Jesus, right? Not just the 12 disciples that we know, but a large group of women and men and children who have recognized him early on as the the coming one, the anointed one, and been following his ministry and witness his uh, miracles. Probably many of them witnessed the the resurrection of Lazarus. I mean, these people are bought in uh, in general at this point. So this is this is home team on on Palm Sunday. We we definitely think some of the pilgrims that are just coming to the city for Passover joined in on the on the cries, right? But a lot of this is his committed close followers on Palm Sunday. On Good Friday, for sure, you have this group, um, and I'm not going to be able to pick it right up off the top of my head, but you know. The Pharisees and Sadducees who had been planning and plotting for him to be killed from even before the triumphal entry. They've been looking for an opportunity for Jesus to be arrested and killed. Uh, and you're not going to do it on Palm Sunday when everyone is welcoming him as Messiah. You might say, hey, could you rebuke them? But you're not going to say you're arrested just yet. So it's definitely a large group of religious leaders mixed in with probably people who have been kind of just... Uh, kind of worked up by them to see this guy as the danger that he is. And, you know, one of the biggest dangers for the Pharisees was anything that upset the Romans because they just wanted to be free to practice their religion, right? So it's it's home team on Palm Sunday, and it's 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 the it's the uh, away team on Friday. Yep. And it's even probably those who for whom Jesus' message and and his way of life was more inconvenient right and more um stirring the pot and um stirring the pot is going to be received by those who you know who heard jesus message and were following him they're happy that he's there to stir the pot and then there are others who are for whom it's a little more inconvenient and even like um there were probably some that the the pharisees either paid right or pulled into like you know as this like conspiratorial um, mass, yeah. You know because they brought in accusers to accuse Jesus, who were saying all sorts of things. Yeah, they were saying all, and and you know it says they couldn't find anything until Jesus finally, you know, they ask him point blank. Yeah, you know, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm him." And they're like, "What more do we need?" You know, and they rip their clothes and mm-hmm. um, and there is there's an irony to Palm Sunday too. Um, where even his disciples who were celebrating and singing Hosanna, we know even his closest disciples still didn't really understand right what was coming, and still didn't really have um, a grasp on how and why Jesus would become king. Yeah, by you know, by dying, by suffering a terrible, terrible death. Um, yeah, you know, so even as they're singing Hosanna, it's like, there's an irony and there's an irony for us on Palm Sunday that we sing it with absolute sincerity, Hosanna, our Mm -hmm. savior. And then there's still just a sense of, but we don't fully grasp the weight of what's coming. Well, Um, or even that, like, you know, Jesus knows full well that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples are going to scatter. The shepherd mm-hmm. will be struck and the sheep will scatter. 
and that at his crucifixion, it's going to be his mom and a few of the women and John. And essentially, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a word there for us that like, now Jesus comes around and he shepherds Peter, you know, for his, his betrayal and restores him. But that, you know, genuine discipleship, you know, genuine faith isn't necessarily always the Hosanna moments, mm. but it's, it's the martyrdom moments. Like, yeah. are you, you know, are you right? Peter, do you love my sheep? Mm. You know, Peter, do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? You know, feed my sheep. Um, and Jesus tells him, Hey, there's going to come a day where you're going to suffer for me. I just think there's a lot there. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot there in that Palm Sunday moment. Yeah. Palm Sunday is a day of hope and celebration, but it's not Easter yet. It's right. not Easter yeah. until yeah. until Good Friday comes. It's yeah. good. So the next day that we um, celebrate and observe in Holy Week is Maundy Thursday, and this is a first for us at City Life this year. Um, so tell us a little bit about what Maundy Thursday is all about. Yeah, again, not something that I grew up uh, participating in a lot. Mondi is short for the Latin word mandatum, which uh, is the idea of a commandment or a mandate. Um, and it's it's pulled out of John 13, where Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. He, he says that as this culminating uh, word after washing their feet. Um, and clearly the, the washing of feet is a picture and a symbol of the washing that's about to come through the cross. Mm. And so here is the master, here is the Lord washing the servant's feet. Um, and that's what Jesus does for us in the cross. But also calls us to a life of love and a life of service unto one another. And that the world will know that we're his disciples if we have love for one another the way that he's loved us. And so... Um, traditionally, um, and different traditions do it differently. Some literally do a foot washing service, um, where you actually watch, wash each other's feet, you know, and there's still some symbolism in that. Um, we're not doing that. Um, logistically <laughs> challenging maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, but you can teach on the foot washing and the call to love. Um, but then Jesus goes on and it says that he puts his, his outer clothing back on after, bowing to wash their feet, and he serves them the Last Supper, mm. um, which was on the night of Passover. And so what we're going to do on Thursday is we're going to focus in on what Jesus is doing in that meal, which is pretty audacious. It's pretty remarkable that God had given the people of Israel this Passover meal to be practiced in perpetuity so that they would remember the Exodus. So if you remember when, when God initially commands this, it's on the eve of the Exodus. He's going, I'm sending this 10th plague. You need to slaughter a lamb. You need to put the blood on the doorposts. The angel of death is going to pass through the camp. This is going to be the final straw for them, and they're going to tell you guys to get out of here. And so I want you to have unleavened bread ready because you need you need to be ready to go. Um, and you need to eat this meal with your sandals on. Because it's it's about to be go time, and God delivers them, and then He institutes this Passover meal as a remembrance meal, 
to say every year you need to come back to to this and remember what I've done for you, how I delivered you. And Jesus, in that context, says, hey, I want to transform what you remember in this meal. I actually want to give you a new meal to practice. It's If he's not the son of God who's atoning for sin, this is audacious. Um, and so it's a remarkable thing that he does. And so we're going to kind of live into that and unpack the significance of what Jesus is doing there and just take a look at the Lord's Supper, and we're actually going to participate in communion together. So I'm really, really excited about Thursday evening, and uh, we're going to try to do the meal in a little bit more intimate way together. Um, it's a community meal. It's a family meal. Jesus is with his, his, his closest friends, and he's constituting this new community, the church. And so it's uh, good. we're going we're gonna to do that together. Yeah, I think it'll be a really um, special, sacred moment. I know, you know, normally we do a service on Good Friday, um, and we're we're changing up what we're doing on Good Friday and putting this on Monday, Thursday. But I know that every year the Good Friday service is always just feels like a really special, sacred moment. And I think, um, I think this Monday, Thursday service as a new thing will be, will have that same sense of sacredness. And just this, this, I, I think even in preparing for it, I've become aware of that all, these three things of Jesus telling us to love one another and then the radical humility that he demonstrated in washing feet, and then the gift of of the Lord's Supper, that those those three things came as a package, and like just taking an evening to really focus on that yeah. that event. Yep. Um, so that brings us to Good Friday um, with our um, new experiment and in, in a, a Good Friday uh, reflection this year instead of a service. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Super excited about it. And just to be clear, we're not saying that we're doing these same rhythms every year. Mm. Um, we probably will come back to a Good Friday service. Um, but for this year, because we're doing the Monday Thursday service, um, we decided to do something a little different, which is a self-guided reflection experience where you can come. We commissioned McKinley, uh, Anderson to do some original artwork reflecting on the seven last things of Jesus from the cross. And we're going to have those hung in our, our worship room. As you come in, we're going to have devotional guides and we ask different members of the body to write um, a devotional on the seven last sayings of, of Christ. And so those will kind of go along with the artwork. And so it'll just be this self-guided experience. You can, reflect on the art, you can read the devotional, really just spend time and linger in that moment, reflecting on those words and the significance of them, and then move on to the next piece. Go at your own pace. We're doing it at the lunch hour, and then also from 5.30 to 6.30. I think this will be a really unique way um, to to meditate on Jesus' death and to really enter into those last words that he spoke literally suspended in the air, dying uh, for our sins. And so um, it's it's weird. It's weird to say that I'm excited just because Good Friday is a, a dark day. But I, I really am excited for our people to get to reflect in this unique way. I, I My hope is 
that I think there's always the danger of inoculation that we, we get so used to, to things, um, that we just kind of breeze right past him. And my hope is that this freshens, uh, Jesus's words in his death and, and opens us back up to just the significance, the magnitude mm-hmm. of what happened on good Friday. Art has a way of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. Having previewed a few of the pieces, I am just, I think it's going to be a really special, powerful um, experience that will add something new to, to Holy Week. Yeah. And I think, you know, just for our people that maybe live into some of these church calendar pieces is still new for, and maybe even uncomfortable at times, at the very least, we need to recognize that as a society, we just rush through things. So it's really Mm. easy for us just to rush through Easter and miss the significance of what's happening. So practicing Ash Wednesday, Lent, Monday, Thursday, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, all the way up to Resurrection Sunday, right? It, it at least allows us to intentionally slow down and rehearse and remember what Christ has done on our behalf and not allow ourselves. Like, I think one of the goals of Easter is not to miss it, right? Not to miss what's happened here. Mm-hmm. And so take advantage of these services, take advantage of these experiences and lean into what Jesus has done on our behalf. It's mm. good. Amen. That's good. And then, of course, it doesn't take much explaining, I think, or as much explaining. Easter Sunday, um, the big day. I remember last year, um, you know, it's one of it's a church calendar thing that even the most staunch Protestants haven't let go of. Like, like you know, pretty much all Christians practice something right. on Easter, celebrate something on Easter. Um, I remember last year, it, last year's Easter, our church having gone through so much um this turmoil and turnover and um, really a kind of death in a way mm. over the last several years, last Easter just felt like, a, and, and I talked to so many people who said the same thing. It just felt like um, something special and different. And it felt like a kind of, it really felt in a unique way, like a resurrection Sunday. Mm. And um, I think just that has me even more excited this year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, COVID probably played a role in that too. Mm -hmm. It was like the first Easter that we could really go for it post COVID. Um, I think Easter is one of those days where it's appropriate to be excited about it. Like it's a celebration day. Right. I mean, if it were me, we'd have champagne. Like, <laughs> I know we can't do that, but shout out to all of our Baptist friends. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, we could have sparkling grape juice, whatever. <laughs> but it's just one of those days where it's like, this is a day to celebrate. I mean, spare no expense. Right. Christ is risen. If he's really alive, come on. And I know that, like, we live in the reality of the resurrection every day. So, you know, there's going to be all those memes on social media on Monday. He's still, you know, mm-hmm. he's still alive. You know, yes, it's true. But this is the day on the calendar that we right. got. I mean, we're particularly focusing on the fact that the tomb is empty. And, you know, it's just a day to celebrate. So, you know, I would say to anyone listening, come and come ready to sing. Yeah. And this year... um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 for the, the sermon. 
And it's going to have a little bit of an apologetic slant to it. And so particularly if you have friends who are wrestling through the idea of the resurrection, which is understandable, um, man, bring them, bring them. I, I, I think it's going to be a, a good Sunday, um, you know, for seekers and skeptics to kind of get a peek into, hey, why do we believe this thing's true? And why does it matter? Yeah. Um, we're even going to have books that we're handing out um, that deal with that question written by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's a great little, great little book. So super excited. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.